You're listening to House on Fire, a youth-focused podcast that is going to wake up every single listener to embrace urgency and agency in this climate crisis. The wheels of industry are turning. Methane has a lifetime of maybe a decade in the atmosphere. Net zero by 2050, blah, blah, blah. Build back better, blah, blah, blah. In the United States, scientists found that streets in poor areas we're up to 3 to 10 degrees Celsius hotter. Of course, we can still turn this around. It is entirely possible. I am Caroline Lewis, the co-host for season two of House on Fire. And with me today is my colleague, Katrina. Take it away. Welcome back to House on Fire, a youth-led climate podcast that aims to get you to wake up. One of the reasons I got into the climate movement was because all of the many solutions that are already present. All we need is action. And my hope is that this podcast will get you to do that. My name is Katrina Irwin. I'm a recent college graduate and an associate program manager at the Clio Institute. I am on a mission to give you all the youth perspective of the climate movement and bring on many other youth climate hosts to help guide me in this effort. Welcome to House on Fire. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to House on Fire. Today, our guest is an incredible youth climate activist that Caroline actually met a couple months ago. Selena Lamb is a 24-year-old climate warrior from the Marshall Islands. In 2015, she became known internationally for being the youngest delegate at COP21 in Paris. Selena told the world that the Paris Agreement should be a turning point in our story, a turning point for all of us. On top of making great strides politically, Selena is also a talented poet and has found a powerful voice in using the arts to communicate the climate crisis. In fact, Selena has just gotten back from traveling around the world with the group Small Island Big Song, which is a music, film, live project which features over 100 musicians across 16 island nations of the Pacific and Indian Oceans, creating a contemporary and relevant musical statement of a region in the front line of cultural and environmental challenges. So, Selena, how are you doing? We're so happy to have you here. We've been trying to do this for a while. Yeah, it's been some time, and I'm so grateful with the, with all of your patience and, and just uh, willingness to have me on the show. So I'm really happy to be here. And I am just, as you mentioned, we just finished the show about a month ago. And so I am having this time for myself to debrief and decompress and spending time with friends and family, getting back to my center, as the group members would call it. Well, thank you so much for finding time to do this while you're trying to get like your personal life back on track. I can wholeheartedly relate to having to do that. So thank you for doing this. Of course. So Caroline was actually telling me how much she loved the Small Island Big Song concert in Miami Beach. And I heard you all instantly clicked because of how uplifting and inspiring the concert was. So would you be able to tell our listeners a little bit more about what Small Island Big Song is and what its mission is? Yes, yeah, so Small Island Big Song is, uh, was created by our two producers, Tim and Babao, and they had this vision of bringing artists from the Indian and Pacific Ocean, all of us interconnected by our uh, shared history of, of seafaring. And all of us, our nations are also affected severely by the climate crisis and other environmental degradations that has happened worldwide. And these stories are very intimate to us. And so they brought us to have this collaboration on stage, 
sharing our music and not just our language, but also stories that are intimate to our ancestors and our current contemporary lives. And that's the stage that we prepared to showcase to the rest of the world how important it is to be aware and be conscious of the actions that we're taking and the impact it has on communities and situations that are not near to us. So in that case, it shows just how interconnected we all are, really. Amazing. Uh, Selena, so good to hear your voice again. I just wanted you to know that when I was present in Miami Beach Band Shelter for the Sibs performance, it felt like primal therapy for people in the climate fight. It felt like I could release all my frustration and anger and rebuild space for hope and momentum. Mm -hmm. And I, I just want you and Tim and Bao Bao to know how profound that opportunity is for people like us in Ground Zero or at Ground Zero, like the Marshall Islands, you know, Miami, Florida. And this work in the climate space really needs the arts to remind us to center our souls. So thank you so much for that. And I want to hear more about the success of, we call it Sib's Small Island Big Song. Um, mm -hmm. Let me ask you something. In the Marshall Islands, your family is still there, right? Um, the, the other part of my family is still there. The other half are here in the U.S. Okay, so you're half half in the Marshall Islands and half mm -hmm. here in the U.S. And yes. are they in the Marshall Islands, are they aware of greenhouse gases and climate change and a warming world and rising seas? It varies, really. I would say um, there's definitely a lot more climate education happening now, especially amongst the young younger generation as most of us are really the ones um, taking over now and and also um, learning from our elders who are active who are current uh, politicians or climate warriors and they go into these big spaces of climate conferences and they bring the youth to come and learn how negotiations and these things are are done in these spaces and so when we go back home a lot of us really see the importance of educating the rest of the younger generation of course tapping into the older generations as well so it really varies with the older generations because there's um christianity is so big in my country and a lot of us uh a lot of the elders see the these things happening to our country as as um God telling us in the in the Bible of Revelation as the end of the world is coming. And so that's how they interpret it. Um, and so really it's just a matter of how you communicate with different people and different generations in, in order to meet them where they are. So even what you're saying right now, it kind of reminds me about the speech that you gave at COP21, how mm -hmm. you were using this incredible storytelling component about how, was it your grandfather? Yes, it was my grandfather. Yeah, yes. it was your grandfather warning you about the impending doom of the climate crisis, such as the rising seas. And then in your lifetime, just as he predicted that it would be happening, you started to see mm -hmm. it happen right before your very eyes. And that's what kind of scares me the most about our generation. I just turned 25. So you and I were, mm. both, were both born in the year 1997. Yes. And <laughs> we are truly just seeing the world change right before our eyes, which I feel is just so different from how mm -hmm. other older generations are experiencing the climate crisis. 
Exactly. So, but I think within um, the generation of my grandparents and my even my parents too, a lot has changed within because I think it, it also depends on where you're coming from in our, our country and where it's stationed, where it's at. It's so volatile. Mm-hmm. And so the small changes that that is happening is noticeable because our people really still live that old um, sustainable lifestyle where we are very much interconnected with our nature and that my grandparents grew up with that. And so every change that happens, they notice it. You know, I never even thought about that before, especially if you live on an island nation that is so close and being a part of nature is so entwined in your culture. Just as you're saying Mm -hmm. that small difference, Mm -hmm. you could see that small difference in sea level rise, you could see right before your eyes. And are Mm -hmm. you guys doing any sort of adaptation materials in the Marshall Islands? Yeah, before it was, um, our country was really focusing on mitigation. Which is what I wish we were all focusing on, but we have no choice anymore. It's so Mm, exciting. Exactly, exactly. So we were building seawalls. And even I remember um, our workers making walls that were like seawalls, but made out of sand. But then that wouldn't work because Mm -hmm. then the waves would come again and crash it. And so we would just have to wait till the the waves were completely calm and it wasn't king tide season anymore to build the more uh, stronger seawalls made out of cement and rocks but even then um, that would also have an effect on the other parts of the island because you really need to assess how to make the seawalls and how that would affect then the currents the change the patterns of the currents and how that mm-hmm. would affect the other parts of the island and so mm-hmm. now the focus is really on adaptation and trying to implement uh, and incorporate in, uh, indigenous knowledge and practices into yes. the the um, the solutions that we are focusing on now. And so mm-hmm. what I've heard from my climate warrior colleagues back home is that we're focusing or trying to see um, ways of raising and expanding the lands that we have. But and that is really would be a big task because we don't have all the resources nor the capacity or the financial support for it and so um, that's a hefty task that is being put on us right now. And this is probably so upsetting for you because you were at the UN at COP21 when the Paris Accord was signed and we really thought this is when change was going to happen. This is Mm -hmm. the time that we're really going to focus on mitigation and our future can possibly be saved. But obviously Mm -hmm. that is currently not the case. And when you were just telling that story, I just want to deeply apologize that that is happening right now because that is horrible. Mm -hmm. That not only Mm -hmm. the United States isn't filling up their part of the Paris Accord, but so many countries are not working together to do it. That countries Mm -hmm. such as the Marshall Islands are currently being lost. So I guess what my big question from you is, what was your big takeaway from being at COP21? A lot of it really was just anger. Mm -hmm. That was was the emotion. Because I really went in and I was thinking, okay, this is it. This is the moment that we have to deliver this statement and we're all going to get it together and do something. And I go into the negotiation spaces and I hear lots of discussions about finance and who's going to finance this, who's going to finance that. But the bigger countries, uh, the developed and more powerful countries didn't want to have the responsibility of, you know, financing these situations. And it just really angered me because I was thinking, oh, like that was a big slap of reality for me that this is what matters to these nations and these these people it's money and yep. it just i just couldn't wrap my mind around the fact that money triumphed over humanity and lives 
it's it's very it's an impossibly difficult lesson for anybody to learn, much less somebody as young as you. And mm-hmm. Katrina, I mean, I'm a little bit more jaded, just a couple decades older than you, but I got to tell you, you, what you're describing is a frustration because when you go to the UN Conference of Parties, which is what these COP21s and COP26 and coming up COP27s are all about, you are mm-hmm. really asking the whole world. You're begging the whole world. Begging the whole yeah. world to understand that we have to do this collectively. And in the meantime, you're back home saying, look, we have to adapt. We have to try and stay here mm-hmm. as long as possible and as safely as possible. You yeah. cannot do either or. You have to do both. And mm-hmm. I think your voice or the voice of anybody who is living the climate crisis the way you are, eyes wide open, needs to get your voice out there. And I'm proud of you for COP21. I want to ask you, did you did you go to COP26 last year in Glasgow? Yes, I did. I did. And what was your takeaway from that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you could tell the truth because yeah. we have some really blunt feedback from the Clio um, members of our team that went. But you could tell us what they you came thought. back pissed. Like yeah. one member started oh crying on our gosh, staff call yes. after. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of silencing, lots of exclusion of people that needed to be in these discussion spaces. And I was um, in a bittersweet kind of way. I was blessed because I was part of the Marshall Islands delegation once again. And so I was able to get into these spaces where I was seeing my other peers, the other youth activists who were out on the ground wanting to get into because they needed to hear what is going on in order to be in order to ensure that these so-called leaders are doing what they need to do and they're not able to get into these spaces. And so it was really hard to see them trying to ensure their voice was heard. And so they really did what they could out in the civil society spaces. And I, as part of the Marshall Islands delegation, was really going into these spaces to really learn what is happening and what is going on. But at the same time, I really needed the guidance of my colleagues, the delegation members, because a lot of the language is very, very technical. And you have to have been doing this for for some years in order to be able to understand exactly what it is being discussed. And um, really having that mentorship from them was really pivotal for me and very important. But again, just seeing all these uh, things that I thought, okay, we're finally moving forward. And I thought that, you know, seeing the momentum that the youth, youth people have done over the past years, I thought it would really do something. And then, and it did something if you look at it in the way that they, that they see the momentum we built and it scares them. It scares these leaders. And so they're trying their hard to push us out of these spaces. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, if we want to see um, reaction, this is the reaction we got. But did it, did it anger us? It definitely did. But what are we doing with that anger? It's only just stoking us to continue forth and continue to push. Well, I'll tell you something, Selena, you are Mm -hmm. at your tender age of 24, already a role model and a mentor for others. And I can hear from your voice that getting into the spaces that other youth could not get into puts a big burden on you to represent, to speak for everybody. And Mm -hmm. I couldn't ask for a better representative of the youth than you. So thank you for that role. And what do you, what do you hope 
happens in Egypt for COP27. Cleo is hoping to have a delegation of youth show up there as well. Mm-hmm. But from mm-hmm. Selena Lamb's point of view, yes. what, do you, what do you see as the best scenario for COP27? To have these spaces open for us, to not have what happened at the COP26 happen again, and ensuring that all that needs to be done is put on the table right now so we can get moving because we really, really don't have time, at least in the case of my country and all the other nations that are at the front line. This is really a, a fight for life for us. It absolutely is. And I, I think what was even more frustrating that I heard about COP26 is that some of the best parts of the entire conference happened outside of the Mm -hmm. entire convention, just as you were saying that that was the community action, really speaking to other people in the outside events and connecting in the climate movement. As is usually the case. (laughs) As is usually the case. And they also, um, from what I heard as well, they also um, were very, very lovey-dovey with a lot of energy suppliers as well. Oh my gosh, yes. The hypocrisy of it all. all over the place. It was Mm -hmm. all over the place. Can I ask you, Selena, why? Why do you think they gave such a space for the fossil fuel lobby? I don't know what it, I think maybe they think, okay, that we need to connect to this section of this movement that they're really the ones who have created all this problem. Yep. And they think, I think they're seeing it as a way to bridge the gap and connecting, but we can't. We can't let them fool us. We can't let all of this like fool us into because really it's the money they have that is doing the talking. And we could see that every time we were going to these spaces and see one of their signs or one of their one of their pavilions or whatnot is happening. And we're just like, but why? It these spaces should have been given to the ones outside. You know, and what I would really encourage you is to keep doing that because we have to do both. We have to give them a seat at the table to try and right the wrongs that they did and hope that they will be good actors. But we have to be aware that they are driven by profit and the bad actors get to call the shots. So Mm -hmm. go ahead, bring them into the table, but call them out and hold their feet to the fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one thing that I also want to point out, what I think is so great about your activism and every speech that I've ever seen you you do, it's kind of like performance. It's so poetic and it's so beautiful and it's so unlike most climate activist speeches that I've seen. It's just absolutely like incredible to see you do that. You. Um, so I guess my question for you is what inspired you to turn to poetry for climate activism? I have always written poems since I was very young. And writing itself has always been my coping mechanism to say. And because in my culture, we don't really talk about emotions or open up about mental health and these kinds of issues that are are very dear to me. And so not having that support system, I just turned to my books to just write how I was feeling to, to understand and process And so I think when I was, not I think, when I am going through my eco-anxiety and just living and experiencing the climate crisis in my backyard, there was no one really I felt I could turn to about these emotions and these fears I was feeling. And so it just made sense to pick up my pen once again and write it down. And, And I tell you, I have heard you read or say your spoken word, and it is profound. 
which Thank brings you. us back. Well, by the way, we are going to bring you back, Selena, to our Yay. Gen Cleo monthly meetings. We have this <laughs> movement of Gen Cleo college and high school kids. And they are all so pissed. They would love to hear from you. They need to hear your yeah. voice and how you used your words as your therapy mm-hmm. to sort of mm-hmm. heal. Yes. So um, the whole idea of Small Island Big Songs, I met Tim and Bao Bao. Mm-hmm. So they, they co-founded it in you. Tell us a little bit about what you all have done and what you're hoping to accomplish through music and the voices of these island people. Mm. It's really, as you said, I've, I turned to writing as my therapy and a healing space for me. And so creating this space for people to come together and just grief and allow us to have that moment to just feel the burden and the 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 crisis that is on us right now so we were able to create that space and then um people still go out feeling not despondent but feeling like they have to do something and they are going to do something so a lot of the the instruments that were played by the people on the stage mm-hmm. were homemade they were made from people's backyards and the yes. so explain that representation and, mm-hmm. and why do I feel like that was primal therapy? The music was just guttural and mm-hmm. you kind of felt it inside of you. Now I'm from Trinidad, so I have that whole steel mm-hmm. band music thing going on anyway. So, but yep. this this really, with respect to the 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 imploring of ourselves and people and nature to heal. Mm-hmm. Who came up with that idea? The idea of all of these different musical instruments and voices coming together. The whole idea itself really was created by um, our producers. But then they were seeing people who were already playing instruments from their own country, uh, instruments that are native to them, endemic to them. And so they wanted to bring these, these music and these instruments into these spaces and showcase it to the world because they're often most of the time left out and not given the space especially with the mainstream music that's happening and indigenous and traditional voices are often just put under the rug or just swept away because we get so caught up in what's popular and what's trendy and so bringing these instruments into these spaces it's really like bringing my backyard into your backyard and allow them Mm. to mingle and showcase that it can work. I love it. What, what has been the impact when you've gone across the United States and in other countries? Similar to yours. And most of the time uh, people come on stage in tears and Mm. just really feeling like they've been moved and they finally found an answer to them and to this issue. And Mm. And feeling like they just had um, catharsis, really. That that sounds. Oh, I wish I could have gone. It was like a shared experience. You were in that mm-hmm. audience, and you were alone, but you were not alone. It was mm-hmm. the most. Yes. It was very, very moving, and the idea that Tim and Bao Bao and Selena, these people I know and love now, are the mm-hmm. founders of this space mm-hmm. for indigenous people and their sounds mm-hmm. yeah. to help us all heal mm-hmm. and recommit to a better world. And you know? we really do need to heal when it comes to the climate crisis. I think it's something that so many people are just like angry about. And as I mentioned yes. before, a lot of youth activists are just 
angry. So I want to end this episode on a very therapeutic note. And with that being said, I have two questions for you. What would you say to youth activists that are are part of the climate movement and they're just so angry by everything that that's going on and they feel hopeless? And then my last mm -hmm. question to you is, what is your biggest wish for the climate movement? Anger? <laughs> Anger is a human emotion. And so allow yourself to feel it and know, and I feel you are already doing it in that you're allowing this anger to propel you to do something great, to do something for yourself, for your community, for your people. But also allow yourself to see the good that is happening, even if it might not be at the pace that we want it to be. But it's so important to remind ourselves that pro progress is, is also being made. And we need to tap in, into that as well to be what moves us forward rather than just the anger because it can also consume you. Mm -hmm. And I truly, truly believe in our movement and the cause that we are, we are fighting for. And I feel like more than ever, we need to be together and we are showcasing that even with all the differences in how we should go about this and that. But as a whole, when we are targeted against, we really back each other up and I cannot be any more proud of us and the work that we are doing and I know it's hard so please take care of yourself as well oh love you there is this one quote that um I heard from the leader of the hip-hop caucus that someone asked him about burnout and anchor and one Ooh. thing that he said really resonated with me and I think it will resonate with you as well when it just comes to you know inaction if in a hundred years from now, people have access to clean water and clean air, we did something mm -hmm. right. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Wouldn't that be a dream? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, with people like you, Selena, and you, Katrina, and so many other youth voices that, that give me hope, with so much of that happening, I cannot imagine that that won't come true. So I have to be optimistic. I know the data is sometimes really pessimistic and public servants don't understand what public service looks like and that there is a greater good beyond profit that we must embrace. But I think your voices and the clarity of your voices and the unapologetic way you are demanding that people be better than their demon selves is really going to resonate. Mm -hmm. The young people, that we had an Aspen Ideas Climate Conference in Miami last week, and it was really amazing. And the young people present, there were about 100 future leaders in their early 20s and mid-20s. And the one thing they really appreciated from the older generation like me is the comment I made where I said, we're not passing you the baton. We're running the race with you, and we're so glad you're in the race now. Because yes. I think it's terrible for us to just throw it off and say to the young people, here, go solve this. Honey, I'm right there with you, and we want to lift up your voice. And you, you and Katrina are perfect examples of stubborn optimism, and I applaud you. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you, Selena. Thank you. It was so great to meet you. I hope we can keep working together. Yes, I hope so, too. House on Fire is powered by the Clio Institute and could not exist without the help of the Lynn and Lewis Wolfson II Family Foundation. 
Thank you so much for making this happen. Here at the Clio Institute, we believe that the best way to get people into the climate movement is through education. And one of the best ways to do that is by sharing House on Fire with your friends and family. So don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to our podcast. And House on Fire can be found on all channels where podcasts are available. Thank you.